<laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just get started because it'll be fun. So, hello, John. Uh-oh. Hey, Jen. So, welcome everybody to episode eight of our podcast. Um, it's been a while since we've been able to talk. Um, we have been promising every episode that, hey, we're going to get into the groove of things. We're going to come up with a plan to put out consistent content. And then things like the plague happen and social distancing. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like in our defense, this might not be our fault, considering the plague wracking rack, the world and also you going to Columbia for two weeks and then being mm-hmm. quarantined for two weeks and... Mm-hmm. Almost getting trapped in another country. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. good stuff. But, well, um, in regards to that, though, um, the film industry is also going through some interesting times right now. So I feel like that's worthy of note. Um, usually when there's problems happening in the world, the one thing that doesn't get affected is movies, you know? It's the one thing that can still bring everybody together. And the movie theaters are closed. (laughs) And all the new films that we were so excited, you know, everything we put on our list, some of those things aren't even going to come out this year now, which is kind of crazy. This this time we were supposed to be getting to see the new James Bond movie. I'm really sad that that's pushed back to Thanksgiving. But what do you think about uh, the possibility of some of the movies going, like, right to streaming? Like, what do you think that'll mean for films and how we go see films? Like, would you only ever want to see movies at home? Or do you like the theater experience? Yeah, I was going to ask you the same question, actually. I, (laughs) um, I actually really like going to the theater. I like the big Mm -hmm. screen. I like, you know, the nostalgia factor of it, I guess. And it's probably because that's what I've been doing, you know, since I was a kid. So I have the memories and stuff. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I would be sad if the movie theaters went away and everything was straight to streaming. I would be sad. Uh, But, I mean, I can see that happening potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say, sorry, I will say I hope for the sake of us that uh you know these movies that have already been pushed back if we get to the point where they've been rescheduled in the fall and it's still not safe for people to go to the theater i hope at that point that they would release them i mean i'm sure they're gonna they don't want to because they would lose money but we need some we're gonna need some new entertainment someday yes Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, you know, I have, there's a couple YouTube channels I watch pretty religiously about the film business, not just about like film in general. And that's some of the things they're saying is that there's going to be two problems. One is that all the things that are already made, they're going to bottleneck up and, you know, going to be stuck. But then if this goes on too long, we're going to reach a point where there aren't any more that are done yet. You know, and we're obviously a long ways from that happening, but there's already like TV shows that aren't going to get to finish their season because they, you know, were on break or they didn't finish the season before they had to stop. So there's going to be a gap in that. And I just think with how, you know, used to we are to getting those things that 
there could be a pretty bad like stoppage of content if this goes on too long. Um, There's also the risk that like Disney has furloughed most of their people now, um, including their big executives. Like there's nobody who's really exempt from it. And so obviously someone like Disney isn't going to go bankrupt because of this, but it could seriously hold off how many films they're able to make when it comes back or, you know, holding on to some of the directors that they have on their team. You know, there's a lot of consequences that could come from this and, I mean, that seems frivolous to the world as a as a crisis, but it's not to the people who that's their jobs. Like, it's it's a it's a luxury to us to get to watch movies, but to some people that's their job. So that makes me sad for them and for me because I want to be interesting. Um, they say that which film is it? I just heard about one. Oh, like Artemis Fowl. I don't know if you've ever yeah. heard of that series before. That is going to be going yeah. right to Disney Plus, um, which is good for that movie because it was honestly probably going to be a flop at the box office anyway because they just hadn't done a really good, um, you know, they didn't do a good job with that. And it makes me sad because I love those books as a kid and they're like boy centric, which is really exciting. Um, because I feel like a lot of younger kids things skew towards girls. Um, and that's a cool one that it could have brought in a lot of boys to it. So, but anyway, okay, well, enough about what the problems are. Let's talk about some of the exciting things. And one of those is, is that we both just watched Onward, which was so good. And oh my gosh, I cried so much. last night. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So how did you feel about that movie? Tell me, please. Uh, yeah, we just watched it last night. Um, first time, you know, I wanted to see it in the theater when it came out and we didn't have time and then the virus hit and then we couldn't go to the theater anymore. So I was really excited that they put it on Disney Plus as fast as they did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, gosh, it, it's everything that you want in a really good Pixar movie. I think I liked it especially because I like uh, magic and wizardy things and there's so many callbacks to uh, Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, all through the movie, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's just got all the all the things that Pixar does really well. They, they just did well again. Um, mm-hmm. Favorites favorite things about this movie my favorite point that I can t- I was talking about this with um, one of my friends that works in mental health with me that also watched the movie um, but it's such a good starting point and, and good film that you could um, show with somebody that is going through grief mm-hmm. is maybe just a parent or someone close to them and such a good mm-hmm. opportunity to talk about um you know, for Ian in the movie, he lost his dad, but he still had somebody that did parts of the dad job. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of that. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, and honestly, maybe you said, but I didn't see the, I thought that they would get to come back and both get a chance to talk to him and there would be like healing that way. But it was so 
mm-hmm. uh, so much more poignant that he had to watch that the moment yeah. where he's watching older brother have his moment with dad and in sacrificing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. Really, really touching. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's just so hard because the, the way they set you up for that is just mind blowing because so the only spoiler that I knew about it is that I knew that we wouldn't get to see the dad. So like that we wouldn't get to like see the talk. That was an only that was a spoiler that I that I'd heard, but I didn't know how it all happened or like what the reasoning is that we wouldn't get to talk to him. Um and I liked that because that keeps that dad at that like it keeps that dad as being everything we hope a dad could be, right? Whereas if you actually talk to him, he can never be as big yeah. as he is in your head and in your heart. Um, but for Marley, like he he knew who his dad was, so he wasn't expecting him to be a god or anything. He knows the dad that he had. He just has such regret of not handling that situation how he wanted to. And that he felt so ashamed about it. And I just thought that that was just so beautiful that Ian realizes it. Like, it just clicks into place for him where he's like, I wasn't missing a dad. You did all those things for me. And it's so cool, too, because everybody sees Marley as a a screw-up. But that's because, like, Marley was the one who grew up without a dad. But, like, Ian didn't really. Because he still had a great mom. His mom... His mom's amazing, by the way, too. What a perfect mom. Like, she was amazing. And he had someone who did all the goofy dad things, like showing up and embarrassing you and still being so loving and so supportive. Like, let's talk about that. That he was so... This man who loves magic and is so excited about it, his brother, who doesn't even care, has this power that is so cool. And instead of there ever being a moment of jealousy or envy, he completely is just like, this is so cool. You have magic. I'm so happy. Let me teach you everything that I know. And I just thought that was so beautiful and definitely was more like parent-like than brother-like because I feel like in other examples we've seen, this would have been a brother being jealous and learning how to get over it. But that wasn't the story they were choosing to tell. He was like, he was overbearing sometimes and causes some of the problems to happen that happen. But he's always so encouraging and optimistic. Whereas Ian is like a pragmatist and pessimistic and this is never going to work, you know? And it, I don't know. It was so great. It was so great. Yeah. And I think, it's really cool because so often in um, entertainment, the picture of brotherly relationships or sibling relationships is usually negative or at least, you know, contentious. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't often have a lot of examples in film and television about what a really, really good, healthy brother relationship looks like. And yeah, this is that. This is the only example that I can think of in a kid's film of that yeah it's so beautiful because he's he's also always patient with him like 
when Ian gets frustrated or when he like shrinks him or he's so patient. Like even when Ian is really mean to his face, he doesn't like freak out and be like, you know what? At least I'm not afraid of it. Like he never fight like bites back. He's always just like, okay, well I'll try to fix it then. And I love it. I love it so much. And how perfect was Chris Pratt? I cannot think of somebody that <laughs> could possibly have been better to be. He was pitch perfect every step of the way. Yeah. The, the the poignant moments he was Use perfect, your heart fire! <laughs> his comedic timing was brilliant. I mean, I love Chris Pratt. He was, he was great. So the only other, that's what, he was perfect. I also think that uh chris hemsworth would have been good i was thinking of him too sure i love chris pratt i just mean like of the two people in the acting universe those two like those are the two who could have done this like chris pratt's amazing like he's great you could just see him like i was seeing him in tom holland even though these are two elves like that's who i was seeing and just oh geez it was so good (laughs) oh they were great so i saw your snap you Snapchatted me and said, I think this is my favorite, what did you say, animated movie of all time? No, I said this is my favorite Pixar film. Okay. But all right. if you want to say all time, I couldn't even tell you that right now. I was too. Um, yeah, I have that on our notes too, is that I, in the moment I was very excited and then I remembered Coco. And I also <laughs> feel that way about Coco. I think Coco also so handles much. grief in a really good way. Yeah, but... I, I think I Onward think, is funnier than Coco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Coco Coco is is funny, but, yeah, not the same way. That was a much more serious tone. But one of the things I am hearing is because I told my sister before I watched the film, she's like, yeah, I'm not going to be watching that. I heard some bad Christian reviews about it. And I was like, oh, well, my other friend just was crying the whole time. So I'm going to watch it. And then when it was over, I messaged her and I was like, I don't know who you were listening to, but you have to watch this. And here's the thing that she heard, though, is that one of my other cousins, they watched this with their kids and their kids are six and under. And it was pretty traumatizing for a couple of the younger kids. And one my friends at work her four-year-old he was worried that his dad was going to be cut in half and there was just a lot so I know so there's this thing where this is PG which I parents just all assume that if it's Disney or Pixar that I don't know whatever but then I talked to my sister I was like you know what fair because her girls are six and three and I was like you know to me this feels like an eight to ten and up maybe yeah where you can explain what's going on to them. Because the three and the six-year-olds, I think it'd be hard to explain. But I told my sister, I was like, you have to watch this. But maybe yeah. you're right. Maybe don't watch it with the five and the six, the five and the three-year-olds. So I could see Yeah, that. I was thinking but, about seven. Might be a yeah. good age. Mm-hmm. Depends on the seven-year-old probably. But yeah, so that is fair. Because then I thought about it and I was like, yeah. There are some Disney movies I don't let the littler kids watch either because it's hard to explain. But this is one that I'm going to like for a long time. Like, I don't have passionate feelings about many of the Pixar films. Like, I just don't. I enjoy them. You know this. I've told you this. I don't really like them that much. I will watch them with our friends. I don't have bad things to say. 
but they don't stick with me except for Coco and now this one. And this one just feels more than Coco because it was so much fun. And then it just like punched you. Like when he's looking at that list and you realize that, oh, wow, they were building all of this up. And it wasn't a moment where they like, you know, sometimes in a movie, something's supposed to be important. So they like zoom in on it so that you'll remember it later on. They were just building up this tower without any explanation. And then you look at his list and you're like, oh, he did all of it. It was just so, while they were telling such a beautiful story, they did all of those things that you, you weren't even noticing that they did. And it was so good. Like it was so so nicely. Yeah. This is a great, great movie. I, with the Pixar movies, I'm Mm -hmm. generally not a big fan of sequels, but I would go for a sequel to Onward. I think there's a lot more story. stories Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Like, there's so much fun stuff in there. So much fun stuff in there. And oh, it was just so cool. And I liked that how like the the Dungeons and Dragons type game in this yeah. world, it's literally their history instead of a game because they just don't do those things anymore. But they were all true. I was like, that's like us playing Risk, you know, like Risk mm-hmm. is like war mm-hmm. games, but it's real. And this is their version of that um yeah i don't know it was so i definitely hope they make a sequel to this one like they can find a way to make a sequel too but i just loved every character too like i love the manticore and i loved um like the pixies that they were (laughs) riding motorcycles that that they learned to fly again because they're like we shouldn't be on motorcycles you should be in the air (laughs) (laughs) Good. And they were eating pixie sticks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I loved his mom. I loved that they wanted to help. She didn't want to like shut them down. She she just wanted to make sure they were safe. And I even liked the boyfriend. Like that was weird that she like has a boyfriend. <laughs> he wasn't a jerk. Like they didn't there was no like villain in this story, right? Um there's there's no person that we're like fighting against, which is something that a lot of Pixar films do actually too. It's more like an idea or something that they're fighting other than a person. But I really like that. So anyway, yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to our homework that we had, which I'm excited about. Um, I was looking up a few things right away before right before I called you because I meant to do this before. My homework for you was what did you watch? <laughs> Secondhand Lions. The director of this film, that's what I was looking up. His name is Tim Mc, uh, McCandier. I cannot pronounce it. Sorry. But this guy, Jonathan, he's only directed five films ever. And I thought that was interesting. I've never heard of any of the other films that he's done. And yeah, this one was in 2003. This movie came out and has Robert Duvall, Michael Caine, and Haley Joel Osment are the main people. And yeah, so this was on my top 10 list and you hadn't seen it. So I'll just let you kind of tell us what the story was about and then what you thought of it. Yeah, 
Um, it was cool. I'd never seen it before. I remember when it came out, you know, I was a kid. I think it came out 2004, right? Three. Um, I just said that. <laughs> oh, sorry. 2003. Um, yeah, so I would have been 12. Um, I really liked it. I wouldn't put it in my top 10 movies, but uh, I liked it. I really liked um, the themes of this kid has a, um, takes place, I think, I would say like the 60s, 50s or Mm -hmm. 60s. Mm -hmm. Um, And this little boy has uh, these two very rich I think great uncles um, and everybody knows they're really rich, but they're also really odd and live off by themselves. Um, and his mom is um, uh, the summary of the movie described her as greedy. So she drops him off uh, to spend the summer with these two uncles. And she, she tells them, find out where they hid all their money. Um, and then she goes off to Vegas for the summer um and he you know just doesn't have a home he doesn't have a family he doesn't have a home um or a place to be and over time these really crusty um older guys uh you know you learn more and more about their backstory and where they got their money from and they are struggling with the idea you know we're old we can't do the the things that we used to do, which was they lived in like the Middle East and North Africa and Arabia, and they were mercenaries and swashbucklers and heroes and, you know, got many well, one treasures. Of them was. <laughs> yeah. Robert one of Duval them was. was. And Michael the other one was kind of there. Yeah, he was the sidekick. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they can't do that anymore, and they're just kind of hanging out on this farm in Texas, uh, waiting. And this boy, over time, kind of helps them reestablish their purpose of, um, you know, this is this is who we're going to belong to now, and this is who we're gonna yeah. take care of. Um, yeah. And that was really really cool, really beautiful. My favorite part of the movie. Um, I thought they established that um, the need for belonging really well, and the characters are also likable. The actors did yeah. such, especially. I don't know. I just have a really soft spot for Michael Caine. He just yeah. seems like every movie is in. I just want to sit down and have a conversation with this guy, oh, you know. Yeah. And he just mm-hmm. used that to its full effect all the way. Yeah. I thought, you know, Haley Joel Osment. Uh, didn't a fine job. I think there was a couple of times where he was a little bit clunky, but um, yeah, you know, he was like eleven. Yeah, the voice, the voice warble. <laughs> I. It, it's hard because this movie is uh, like seventeen years old now, so mm-hmm. I was a little distracted by the special effects and the production design that was, you know, not up to par with where we are now, especially the lion. Yes. Uh, was, <laughs> you know, just not good compared to 2020, but I'm sure for 2003, it was, it was really Jasmine. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then my other complaint, I guess, was it felt like uh, there were times when it I wasn't. It, it's going for this in between comedy drama thing, you know, where it's it's mm. funny, but it also has kind of like a a real heart, and, and it's not a full on mm-hmm. comedy. And I thought that there were sometimes that that worked, and then sometimes there were things that I felt like I was supposed to find really funny that I didn't. Mm. Um, so some of the those beats kind of fell flat. Um, some of the Robert Duvall beating up the, the gang of bikers in the cafe or whatever right. was just a little, <laughs> a little bit too much. I know. You know oh, a little bit too old to pull that off. Right. Um, yeah. So I thought the the tone was a little bit inconsistent sometimes, but overall, I mean, I was still tearing up at the end when he his mom comes to pick him up and take him away, and then he gets out and runs, runs back and asks if he can stay there. I mean, it's just, it was really cute. It's just a, yeah. a good, cute, not going to be sad I watched that sort of movie. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, even though for you that doesn't put it in, like, your favorites, like, everything you've said is why it's still in a favorites for me, is I this is one of the few on my list that it isn't a romance or an act action film there's just something about it that I always come back to that film like I don't get tired of watching it I love the message it's trying to tell and besides yeah besides the special effects and the like the dated of it which helps me because it's set in like the 60s so it it helps that they're not this isn't happening in like the modern time when you're watching it and yeah, I just love that they they these like misfits all find somebody to love. And yeah, and when I was a kid, like when I was a kid, I always really wanted to see the Indiana Jones version of their lives. Like I wanted to see the flashbacks like its own movie. Like I wanted yeah. to see Christian Kane defeating the uh <laughs> defeating the uh the Sheik or whatever. And I love at the end when the Sheik's, like, great-grandson shows up and is like, we heard that he died and we we heard they died and we had to come. And, like, people thought those stories were made up and just, I don't know. It's so fun. Like, it, that movie yeah. just makes me smile all the time. Yeah. Um, but I can understand why you, having not seen it when it came out, how it doesn't yeah. age well to see it for the first time. Now. Yeah, and I think you know, so. I think what would take it from good to great for me is just the things that I wanted to be really funny. Uh, I didn't think were that. I mean, there was times where it was amusing, but I never thought it was like laugh out loud funny at any point. Yeah. And so yeah. the the not really going sort of, for right the sort of downbeats of the movie worked really well. But the exciting um, upbeats just fell a little bit flat for me in in places. But, um, you know, overall, it was a win. Good. So I did a good pick for you then. That wasn't a bad one. Excellent. Okay. Well, your pick for me was Hell or High Water. 
which came out in 2016. Um, this was directed by David McKenzie um, and starred Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges. Um, so David McKenzie, he also did Outlaw King with Chris Pine, which I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't watched it. I should because I love Scotland, so I really should watch that. But uh, it looks pretty depressing. I don't normally pick those. Um, since I know what happens to that historical figure, I'm not in a rush to see it. But I watched this film on the plane from uh, <laughs> from Texas to Colombia. I was watching it on a very small screen, which I regret a little bit. But yeah, so this story is about this man and his there this man and his brother and we start the film with them robbing banks and they have a pretty like strict formula for which banks they're robbing and how much money they're willing to take from each place they go and they're robbing all the banks of this one branch basically uh, or i mean this one bank all their different branches to as kind of a revenge thing as well as there's a certain amount of money that they need to pay off the family farm did i explain that right <laughs> because this bank kind of screwed over their mother by getting her to take out another loan but then having really ridiculous uh qualifications for how to pay it off and now their mother has died, right? Yeah, right. their mother has died. And the bank is going to take the property. And so they're trying to uh, rob enough money and then get it turned into that bank in time to save the farm. Um, and then we have Jeff Bridges' character, who is trying to catch them. He kind of figures them all out, you know, and nobody really is listening to him because they're like, you should just retire. You don't know how to catch these criminals anymore, which is just such a, you know, you've seen that tune before. Um, and then, yeah. And one of the brothers is crazy <laughs> and doesn't follow the rules. And Chris Pine, who he really has it all on the line because his... Uh, he has a ex-wife and two kids who he wants to leave them something. You know, he wants to... You should mention he what's special about the farm. Oh, yes. The, far the reason the bank as well did this is because it's on, it's on oil, right? Right. It's oil. And there's millions of dollars there, not just what the place is worth for the land which that's kind of an underhand thing the bank was doing as well as they were tricking certain people out of their land for this. So, yeah. And it's one of those kind of films where it's there's a certain code that the thieves go by, or at least the one brother does. The other brother just wants the world to burn a little bit, um, which the plan would have gone mostly perfectly if not for a crazy brother, of course. But, yeah, so it was pretty intense film. <laughs> um, not a kind of film I would normally, like, enjoy. 
but Chris Pine was very intense. He was very good. Um, I always love Chris Pine, so that was fun. So my feelings about it were, I'm confused. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how to feel because I think it was a very, like, powerful story. And I... I just don't know because I don't know whether I'm supposed to feel like Chris Pine's character got justice or not. You know, like I know the story is telling me that I do, but I mean, I guess since I don't know, because his brother was the one who was really kind of causing the drama and his brother pays for that. So guess I can feel like it's an eye for an eye like Jeff Bridges lost his partner and Chris Pine lost his partner and maybe I'm just supposed to feel like it's fine but I don't know I don't know so yeah (laughs) I think that I think that's how you're supposed to feel I mean I don't know but Mm mm-hmm I think that's kind of almost their point was they made a movie that doesn't really have good guys or bad guys, you know, mm-hmm. the protagonists are the thieves and one of them's a murderer or ends up being a murderer by the end of it. Or actually he killed their dad. So he was a murderer at the start. Yeah. Um, but yet you're rooting for them. And I think it's kind of like a, a shades of gray story where mm-hmm. there's no there's no true north and i think the point is kind of like this is what actually happened you know maybe people aren't always bad they just you know kind of chris pine says i wasn't gonna let my boys be poor anymore at the end um, sure so you have compassion on all sides and you're supposed to feel kind of conflicted at the end sure yeah I don't know. It was really, it was really interesting. I mean, it's not something that I regret watching. So there's that. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was an interesting story. It's it's what not. I, what, go ahead. What I love about it is um, the two brothers, and we've talked before about how uh, bromances or just you know relationships and. Mm-hmm. loving relationships between two guys it's just you know near and near to our hearts um and these brothers uh you know like you said the one is re- really unstable pretty unstable um and he's just got out of prison and chris pine asked him to help do this and i think um uh, I'm blanking on the other brother's name, the actor. Oh, uh... Ben Foster. Okay. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. He does such an incredible job of showing that this man is so broken and his, is, like, traumatized, you know? And I think maybe because I work in mental health, I, I you know, have more of a, a heart for this. But when Chris Pine wakes him up, uh, the one day mm-hmm. he's sleeping and he goes straight into like I'm gonna fight you, you know, before he realizes yeah. all, you know, yeah. and you just know mm-hmm. this guy has been through 
some really, really tough stuff. And he's really, really broken. Um, yeah. And he, he, his one thing that he has left in this world is his relationship with his brother. And his brother yeah. could ask him to do anything, and he, he's going to do it for him, you know? Um, yeah. And that moment where he's about to drive off and lead the cops away, and he ends up getting killed, and he says, yeah. he just tells them, I love you. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, how it makes us feel. I, I had lots of feelings about that. Like, wow, that, it's just a really yeah. powerful moment. Yeah. And I'll, like, be honest, too. Like, I regret a little bit watching it on the plane because there was, you know, there's a couple interruptions and it's such a small screen and it was kind of, like, violent for sitting in the middle of a row with people which I know other people don't care but like I do so for me too I think some of like viewing experience got in the way of that um but yeah it has that kind of solemnity that you feel from a good like western like that's really what I would call this yeah like I would call this western um a modern day western and yeah, I, yeah, it was good. I don't even, I don't know how to, like, rate something like this or how to put it in. Like, it's one that if someone asked me if I like it, I would say yes. Um, but, like, it didn't affect me the same way as, like, 310 to Yuma, for example. Um, where I feel like in a film like this, I like a little more interaction between Alman and that's what I'm at. Um, because I like when they come to an understanding with each other. And I feel like in this one, we only got that for like a couple minutes at the end when Jeff Bridges comes and they talk and, and he, you know, he's trying to trip him up a little bit. And Chris Pine's just like, either come back with Warren or don't come back. Like, I'm not, I have nothing to say to you. Or he's even like, if you want to end this, I'll meet you. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's like, he's like, we will. But like, you're not taking this away from my family. Like, I'm done with that part. They're taken care of. And you can do what you want with me. But I don't really think you got the proof. You know, kind of that yeah. too. So it was good. I mean, I'll watch Jeff Bridges do. Yeah, Jeff Bridges. Do Jeff all Bridges. of it. Yeah, <laughs> Jeff Bridges and Jeff Daniels play this character, this type of character, really well. Yeah, I I really enjoyed also the, uh, Chris Pine's moment with his son, and his yeah. He, um, Chris Pine says, "I'm I'm sure you've heard lots of bad things about me," and his son says, "Well, you know, I wouldn't believe any of that." And he says, "No, it's true. Believe it. I want you to do it different." Um, and so it's mm. kind of like a you know, like we always talk about with movies that we love, we love redemption stories because um, I think we everybody sees mm-hmm. themselves in as someone that needs to be redeemed. And Chris Pine is, in his own way, he's he's doing that. And um, yeah, just such yeah. a it's just a good good story that does leave you feeling conflicted, like you you talked about, which I I just think is really yeah interesting. I yeah. wouldn't want all my movies to leave me feeling yeah. that, but this one I was okay with. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I know, because, yeah, I know you didn't watch this film too long ago either, um, because we talked about it right after you'd watched it. Um, Yeah. And there's something to be said for that, too, of, like, how you'll feel about it, you know, in a couple years from now, if it's one you, like, want to see again, or we'll feel about it differently at another time, and I think that's really interesting. So, yeah, yeah, it was good. I mean, it was it was worth it to watch, so I won't uh, complain about that anyway, right? So, let us. Should we talk okay. about our uh, picks for next time? Yeah, let's let's do that. Um, I actually have. Um, well, I'll let you go first if you picked one for. I think you picked one for me, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. You talk. I'll tell you. So I, it's hard for me to think of movies that I have seen and liked that you haven't also seen. Um, I know. But it's fine. <laughs> so this was a little <laughs> challenging, but uh, I realized I have some sports movies that I'm really passionate about that you probably haven't seen since you're mm-hmm. less of a sports person. Of course you do. Also. <laughs> suffering through a lot of withdrawals with no sports now so movies are helping me get through it. um so okay. my favorite my favorite baseball movie not my favorite sports movie but my favorite baseball movie of all time is moneyball um 2011 okay. film brad pitt and i'm not gonna go into a, a whole lot about it i just uh am curious if one of the reasons I like it is because I'm a baseball person and if it'll um, Mm -hmm. be enjoyable for you to watch as a non-baseball person or if you'll just be bored and confused and uninterested. Okay. We shall see. And yeah, okay. I know a little bit about it just by like I know some things. So definitely we'll check that out. Cool. Okay. So what I have for you is I actually picked three movies and I'm going to let you like pick one. Okay. Um, So I'll tell you what those are and then you can decide which way you want to go. So the first one I picked is actually a sports movie as well. And I I don't know if you've seen it. So that's why you'll have to tell me if you've seen it. But um, Seabiscuit. Yeah. Have you seen that film? Yeah, I went to that in the theaters actually when I was a kid. So I've seen it, but I don't think I've seen it. Or at least I haven't seen the whole thing since then. So I don't really remember it. Okay, so, okay. Well, so that's the first one. So if you end up wanting to rewatch that. The second one I picked, this one would probably make your wife happy. Or at least like she would watch it with you. And it's not what you think. I just mean, it's called Diary of a Mad Black Woman. (laughs) Okay, all right which is a Tyler Perry film that is the first film that ever had Medea in it, which is one of his characters. And ooh, that film is so good. So, so good. That one's on my top 10 list of all time. That one is. Um, and then the third film I know you haven't seen, and that's A Few Good Men. Oh, okay. Tom Cruise? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
which is a um, classic. You're right. That is a classic. Mm-hmm. Mm, this is tough. I I'm gonna go with a few good men because I feel like I. Uh, that's right. just a movie that I can see. Yeah, it's a good one. That one is quoted many, many times, and it's funny that you haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, I've seen, like, I know I've seen clips and parts of it, but I haven't seen it end to end. That one is pretty emotional, too. Not in, like, not more of, like, I'm going to cry emotional, just, like, I have feelings about this emotional. Um, And, yeah, it's super good. So... The other film will tell our viewers that we need to get together and watch Machine Gun Preacher and we're going to do it soon because I need friends yeah. and it's going to happen. <laughs> Should you tell them, tell them why, like how that came up, why we want to specifically watch that? Oh my gosh. Well, okay. I don't remember what we said to make it happen, but we were at our friend's birthday and one of our friends... <laughs> I don't know which how it came up, but I know like he's planning to do a uh, a gap year in missions, <laughs> and weren't we joking about that? That's the kind that he would be. How did it get brought up? Yeah, what did well, we I say think, to bring it up? Because he was joking about that, but he's also um, an ex-military person. Yes. yes. So he he wants to be yes. a, a missionary, and he was he was going to be special forces actually. So. Um, we were like, you are a machine gun preacher. And he yeah. said, that's like my favorite movie ever. Because <laughs> <So. laughs> it's based on a real person. Yeah. yeah. So we're just going to so, go watch it and which... we're going to compare Tony to Gerard Butler. See who's cooler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tony is Scottish. So there's that. <laughs> well, they have something in common already. They do, they do. But yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. So, okay, well, we'll wrap this up. I have a pretty bad feeling that the entire first half isn't recorded, so that may be a problem. But <laughs> we'll call this a test episode if it didn't. And since our quarantine is over, we might just have to meet in person anyway, because... Did I borrow you that one? No, I still have no, it. No, I don't have that. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can I have, it. Well, I can drop it off if you want. Yeah, sure. Whatevs. We'll figure it out. But, well, you take care. Stay safe. All right. We'll set up a time for Machine Gun Preacher soon, so. All right. Sounds good. All right. Peace out. Yep, bye.